Well, so good to be with you. My name is Brian. If we haven't met, I'd love to meet you. I say that every week, but I promise it is genuine. Just because I say it every week does not diminish the genuineness. Thank you, Pete. Thanks for that. Um, Hey, uh, we're continuing with our teaching series, Real Religion, uh, where Isaiah 58, uh, Isaiah says uh, on behalf of God to Israel, like what real religion is. And so uh, today we're looking at this very basic, uh, important question. What does it mean to flourish? Or how do I flourish? Maybe you haven't used that word before, flourish. Here's what it means if you don't know what it means. It means to grow, like to, kind of like to break forth with actual life. The life that like you want to see, the growth, the health, all of that kind of stuff happening. That's what it means to flourish. You know, like this is the question on many of our minds, even if we don't actually use the word flourish. In fact, you know, like most every bookstore is predominated by this uh, section called the self-help section. I mean, if you go into a bookstore, it's kind of RIP on bookstores, but if you go into bookstores, you see this, right? All of this real estate is given to this kind of self-help section, which is basically, how do I flourish? Podcasts try to answer the question. We have apps that try to help us with our fitness and with our breathing and to try to cultivate mindfulness and all these things. And all of it is essentially trying to answer the question, how do I flourish? Well, all that stuff may be good, but Isaiah succinctly provides an answer as he continues to describe what real religion is as we continue to go through Isaiah 58. So we're going to be looking at Isaiah 58 verses 9 to 13. You can open your Bible, look at it. We're going to be going through it verse by verse here and really seeing that the uh, question, how do I flourish, is answered in this if-then presentation that Isaiah gives. Uh, the if-then kind of approach uh, is something that shows up in the Old Testament, and it kind of goes like this. If you do this, then this will happen. Isaiah is saying, if you do this and don't do this, then flourishing will happen. That's where Isaiah goes. And now, presenting this if-then situation with Israel, as Isaiah is speaking on the behalf of God, you know, one thing that's not being communicated is that, like, uh, Isaiah is not saying, if you mount up enough merit and religious activity, then maybe God will love you. No, God's love is not conditioned. It's given freely to all people. It's on offer to you, you right here in this space. If you don't have to rank up enough moral merit or religious activity to get God to love you, he already loves you. What Isaiah is saying is that if you align yourself with the way of Yahweh, if you align yourself with the way he has made the world and go with the grain of his creation, you'll find his blessing resting on you. You'll find yourself flourishing. So the beginning here of this verse is, is if you do away with the yoke of oppression and with the pointing finger and malicious talk, these are these three things that Israel's told not to do. Do away with the yoke of oppression. Some of you are like, oh, fortunately, I've, I'm not, you know, like currently employing the yoke of oppression in my life. Um, so that's an easy one. But here's the thing is like, think about this. Is there someone in your life, in your circle of influence, and we all have a circle of influence, that is wearing a heavy burden that they don't need to carry? 
that they're carrying, whether it's uh, something that is a part of their past that's sneaking into their present, that's bearing, that's weighting down on them. And this is kind of like what Isaiah is saying on behalf of God. It's like, look for the people that are carrying these heavy burdens and make sure that the yoke, that yoke that is oppressive take, gets taken from their shoulders, gets taken from their life. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, if you do away with malicious talk and the pointing finger, we've all been guilty of that if we are honest. Kind of the sneering comment looking over to the side, kind of like, look at them. Can you believe that? Or the kind of like sideways conversation that could be described as gossip. What Isaiah is saying is, if you do away with that, do away with that, get rid of it. If you boil down these three things, you could, say, you could say that behind the, all these three things is one word, power. Power. The preservation of power. If they're suffering from some type of oppressive yoke, and you know, if, if you're talking negatively about them, if they can't hear it, if you're pointing at them, a lot of times it has to do with me preserving my power at their expense. Now, there's a couple things that you may think of when you hear the word power. The first is, uh, you know, like, like, what do we feel about power? Power is a word that might feel abstract, but most of us might think that power is kind of bad. In fact, this was a question that was asked by a business professor, a friend of mine. I had assembled a whole bunch of college students together for kind of a leadership training at the previous job I worked at, the previous church I worked at. Um, and uh, this business professor asked this question, what do you guys think? Is power good or bad? Raise your hand if you think it's good about Nobody raised their hand. And uh, what do you think, if, is it bad? Most people raise their hand, these college students. You know, these college students, they'd seen power poorly exercised, you know, by presidents and CEOs, by pastors and priests, by parents and all the like. And so it's easy, like many of us, to start thinking that power is bad. But think about this. Like, peace isn't possible without power. Peace without power is just a stalemate, right? Love without power is just frustrated love. So power is not bad, and it's not necessarily good. It's neutral. The question is, what do we do with our power? The second question you might ask or thing might, might be on your mind is, is like, well, I don't have power. That's something that like CEOs have. That's something that presidents have. That's something that, you know, people somewhere out there have, but I don't have power. But check this out. You have power. You might not realize it. You have power. Think about the roles you occupy. If you have the role of a coach, I remember uh, years ago, a friend told me he thought the most powerful people in the world were the coaches of t-ball teams. <laughs> but think about it. You probably remember, if you played t-ball, like a little comment from a coach. And it probably went like this, I think you can do it. And that I think you can do it bloomed into, I'm going to try to do it. And for many of us, that meant that we did it. So we took another step and then another step. And what was at the core of that was a, the power that a coach utilized. Conversely, you probably remember a time where someone told you, maybe it was a coach, I don't think you can do it. And how that shut down opportunity, prevented forward movement. And at the core of that was the exercise 
of power. If you have a role in someone's life, you have power. Parents, it's, you, you can't underestimate. I know for many of us as parents, we feel like we don't have any power. But you have power to use your words and your attention and your time and your affection in a way that cultivates an environment where flourishing can happen. Think about a teacher or a mentor or older sisters and older brothers. All of us that have a role to play carry power within our lives and in our uh, week, in our rhythm. Maybe it's not a role, but it's just kind of like influence you have. If you have somebody that asks you, hey, where's the best brunch spot, you know? You say Art House Cafe or Wooden City or whatever. But like the fact that people are asking that, I was just freely giving that to you. Um, if, if, if somebody's asking that, that's an exercise. That means they, you have power. People think that you are some type of brunch expert, so they're asking your opinion, and that's power. Influence is power. People ask you financial questions. If people ask you questions about sports or questions about real estate or questions, all that is is power. People presume you have an expertise and you have power in that circle, in that relationship. All this is power. So none of us are excused from the experience and the, and the, and the practice of power. All of us have it. Uh, my wife, Candace, and my daughter, Zoe, uh, went on an overnight, so they both can get their hair did uh, last night, a couple nights ago. Um, and um, so it meant that Soren and I were together, which my son, so we, we played more video games than we probably should. Um, confession, safe place. Um, but then uh, the, the next day, I gave him a knife. You know, Mom's away, here's a knife, son. Um, LAUGHTER uh, I mean, it was a little bit more intentional than that. Um, you know, I remembered when my dad gave me a knife and, uh, you know, he taught me things like you cut away from yourself. This is basic stuff. Don't cut like this. It, that's not how you do that. Uh, this is how you give a knife to someone else. Don't extend it with the blade out, you know, kind of go flip it. You know, you guys know this? Is this new to you? I'm, I'm just blessing you with knowledge. <laughs> You're like, I've been doing this the whole wrong the whole time. We, we sat out there whittling, you know, uh, some sticks together, and, you know, he saw kind of the colors of the actual wood as the bark started coming off, and we talked about, uh, you know, having this knife, and, and after I told him how to close it up, he got kind of bored of it kind of pretty soon, to be honest. Um, uh, I said, Soren, even more important than me giving you this knife is the recognition uh, of, of kind of the symbolism of this knife. Because just as this knife has the ability to hurt or to help or to shape or create or make, you in your life carry that power. You carry the power to hurt or to heal, to help or to harm. And so when you think about this knife, think about, yeah, all the safe things, all the practices and, and you know, use it for all the right ways, but, but also rem be reminded that you carry power with you. And we're called to steward that and exercise it well. I think the thing is, is hopefully I've convinced you all that we all have this power. We all carry power just by who we are and the relationships we have and the places that God has placed us. So 
what do we do with it? How do we, how do we connect our practice of power with flourishing ourselves and others? Well, one of the first ways that people use power is, you could say, white-knuckling it. White-knuckling it. Look at that hand. What's, what are you holding on to? What are you afraid to release? How is that connected to power? Stephen Covey, an author, a leadership author, uh, writes this about uh, white-knuckling our power, and he calls it practicing a scarcity mentality. He says this, people with a scarcity mentality have a very difficult time sharing recognition and credit, power, or profit, even with those who help in the production. They also have a very hard time being genuinely happy for the successes of other people, even and sometimes especially members of their own family, hello, or close friends and associates. It's almost as if something is being taken from them when someone else receives special recognition or a windfall gain or has remarkable success or achievement. There's this idea Covey articulates of when you white knuckle power, you're practicing a certain way of life which believes that if you let go of something, you won't have it. And then all of a sudden you'll be, you'll lose value, you'll lose something that somebody else will benefit it. So the only way to retain what you really think you need is by holding onto it with white White knuckles. That's what Covey calls that scarcity mentality or white knuckling your power, where you're keeping words of affirmation inside yourself. You're keeping financial resources within yourself. You're keeping kindness, whether it's affection and touch or, or just time with someone else. You're keeping that. You're keeping, you're keeping the special expertise. You're keeping the insight on the business idea. You're keeping that within yourself because if you are open-handed with it, you'll lose it and somebody else will have it. You know, um, this is actually articulated um, by, somewhere in the old, elsewhere in the Old Testament, describing Pharaoh. If you're new to the Bible, uh, Israel for a long time, and the Old Testament is written about God's interactions with his people, Israel. Israel was under Pharaoh's uh, slavery and oppressed by Pharaoh. And uh, that's what eventually the Exodus is all about. They leave slavery. But in Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 and 10, we realize or we see this white knuckle approach to power practiced by Pharaoh. And it reads like this. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came into power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. Take a look at that. There's all the three things that Isaiah says to not practice. Look, the pointing finger, the malicious talk, and the oppressive yokes. It's almost as if Isaiah is saying, don't act like Pharaoh. We delivered you from Pharaoh. Don't act like Pharaoh. Don't model your behavior off of whatever you see in the world and those that have power, people that white knuckle power and have a scarcity mentality. They don't know God. If you knew God, you would have an abundance mentality, not a scarcity mentality. Practice the way of Yahweh, not the way of Pharaoh. When there's chains, don't preserve the chains, but break the chains. This is the way of Yahweh. This is real religion. So white knuckling power is not the way 
that Isaiah, speaking on behalf of God, is, is asking Israel or us to practice. So what is it? It's being open-handed with power. Holding the power that God has given you, the roles, the relationship, the influence, and being open-handed with it. This is the next part of the verse in Isaiah 58 where it says, And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. You see that? Isaiah, he's saying, if, if you don't do this, if you aren't white-knuckled with your power, and if you are open-handed with your power. This is still the if part of that statement. We're still in the if part, the first part. If you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, the word spend yourselves and satisfy the needs is uh, in the Hebrew, it's, it's the same word, it's nephesh. And nephesh is the Hebrew word for soul. It's as if the Isaiah is saying, if you pour out your soul, if you put it on the table, if you use, if you identify your power and you just spend yourself on the behalf of other people, who? Those that are hungry. Yes, that means physical hunger. Like people that are hungry, we need to make sure that they have food. Yes, absolutely. But think about expanding that definition of hunger out. People that are hungry for affirmation. Usually can tell the people that are hungriest for affirmation because they're loudest. This was something, I may have shared this before, when I was briefly a high school pastor. Uh, I remember going into the lunchroom and those that are loud, were loudest were oftentimes the most annoying, A. <laughs> but B, the people that were just hungering for affirmation. Because there was somebody in their circle that had power that wasn't giving it to them. Who's hungry for just a word of kindness? Who keeps traveling around this cul-de-sac of just kind of like deep inner self-doubt, wondering and wanting somebody just to see something in them that is worthy of affirmation? Like, what does it look like to be open-handed there towards that person? To pour out your soul to, the, in that, to that person? Think about the person that's hungry for relationship who's lonely, who other people just keep walking by, who don't get the invitation. What does it look like to, to, like, to be open-handed, to pour out your power towards this person that might just want relationship, might want an opportunity to learn, might want an opportunity to figure out what healthy living is, might want an opportunity to figure out how to manage their finances. What does it look like in the roles that you have, in the influences that, you, that influence that you carry, the power that you have, what does it look like to be open-handed? As Isaiah says, to pour out your soul. All of us, if we just poured out our soul to everyone, they're, they're, we would feel empty. But Isaiah is saying, be intentional. Pour it out. Be, be, be thoughtful. Know, know that we can be open-handed because it's not a zero-sum game because God's involved. I think of, um, as an example of this, uh, like, like the, a mother's journey towards pregnancy, right? Pregnancy, I'm told. Um, you know, it's like there's this... There's this baby growing within you. I know biology, very basic biology here. Uh, here to help you understand that. Um, but like as this baby starts to grow, like nutrients go towards it. 
and your body starts to different, take on different shapes. And you experience discomfort. Your back, you know, starts to ache a little bit. Your, your sleep starts to be affected by it. What is this? You're pouring out your power so that something can flourish. And the beautiful thing is that like specifically again around pregnancy is, is that the, the birth of this baby, it's not just that the baby is like flourishes because of your power being poured out, but also you flourish as you see this thing start to bloom and grow. Like this is what kind of Isaiah is inviting everyone to, to pour out who you are towards another so that you might see flourishing in your midst because of the open-handedness with your power. You know, it's interesting. Um, there are some uh, studies done. I read an article in The Atlantic recently that, that described people that are white-knuckled with their power. Um, they actually end up harming themselves. It actually starts to negatively affect your brain. If you're white knuckling your power, you, uh, your brain loses the capacity for compassion. So what, me, what that means is you stop being able to understand different people in different situations. Um, and you're kind of more and more just deeply entrenched within yourself, unable to appreciate or understand or practice compassion. It's not just something that you are a mean person. Your brain actually starts to change if you're white knuckling your power. But I think all of us would know the people that are the most generous, the most saintly, the people that we aspire towards are the people that are living like this. And this is what Isaiah is inviting us to. And it's ultimately seen in Jesus. Paul in the New Testament says, though he was the very nature God, he considered equality with God not a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, taking on the very nature of a servant being born in human likeness. This is the picture of God. That God was open-handed with his power so that flourishing might happen in and around us here today. Here's the beautiful thing. When your hands are open, not white-knuckled, when your hands are open, God can fill them. God can't fill white-knuckled hands. Because you already got something on. You're already fastened on that. God can fill open hands. And this is, goes to that then part of that if then. So we've heard if you're not white knuckled and if you are open handed, then this happens. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun scorched land. The word satisfy is that word nefesh, that word for soul again, meaning that kind of like, hey, when you pour out your soul, God mysteriously pours into you because he's a God of abundance. It's not a zero sum game. It's not some scarcity. It's not like there's problems with the supply chain. So God can't fill you up. No, God fills you up as you're open handed because open hands he can fill. This is what is the promise that's being proclaimed. If you live like this, then this will happen. It goes on and he will strengthen your frame. And you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose never, waters never fail. This is a picture of the Garden of Eden. Like Isaiah is saying, it's like when you live in this way, open-handed towards others, practicing and just giving your power away, your influence, and, and seeing how you can steward it for the other's benefit, you'll be like Eden. You'll be like the Garden of Eden. 
Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up age-old foundations. Isaiah is speaking to Israel, and Israel was in captivity for a long time. They were taken away by force by, by the Babylonians, and so they were living in exile away from their homeland. And when Isaiah is writing, they've started to travel back towards their homeland, back to Israel, and they see a lot of ruins, things that were taken and destroyed by the oppressive force of the Babylonians. And so what Isaiah is saying is, when you live in this way, the ancient ruins will be rebuilt. And while for us, we might not have this actual experience, I think we can look around and see ancient ruins all around us. Ruins of people's life that people are experiencing kind of pain that goes back four and five generations. Where there's trauma or there's some type of addiction or there's some type of chain or self, whatever it is, there's some type of ruin. And what Isaiah is saying is you'll be the person that goes to the ancient ruins and rebuilds them if you live in this way. You'll move close to people that are experiencing pain and you'll start to see flourishing there when other people maliciously talked and pointed the finger and said, that'll never be anything. But when you live in this way, you'll show up close to them. God will do something. And rather than the malicious finger, the pointing, the pointing finger, the malicious talk, there'll be blooming and flourishing happening there. This is the promise of living open-handed. It goes on, you will be called repairer of broken walls and restorer of streets with dwellings. Two things I want to point out. The first is the repetition in this promise of will. It isn't like, if the market's right and maybe if my schedule's clear, God will, God will hook you up, don't worry. You know, maybe. Note the repetition of will. God will do this. He will do this. He will do this. He will do this. Don't live according to a scarcity mentality that keeps you inverted and, 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 and really prevents you from actually flourishing. Live according to the abundance mindset, the open-handedness, knowing that God will do this. Live in this way. Believe it's a promise. Second thing that I just want us to point out or to see is that that last line, you will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Um, you know, I, I, for a while, I tried to make up my own nickname. It doesn't last, guys. I, I was, uh, I'll spare you on what it was. But, um, but when you make up a nickname for yourself, it tends to not last. But when you get a nickname or when, you, when somebody calls you something, for better or worse, let's be honest, it starts to last. And I love this. There is, Isaiah is saying, people will go up to you and call you repairer and restorer. This promise that I think is ours to embrace, it's on offer to us. God's saying, hey, do you want this also? This promise has, been, has proven itself throughout the history of Christianity. It was an Albanian nun that took on the name Therese and cared for the dying in India. Why? Because she knew her power, sensed a calling, and wanted to live open-handed and would become known as Mother Teresa and be the recipient of a Nobel Peace Prize. It was a black South African named Desmond who grew up in the middle of racist South African apartheid 
who would take steps towards leadership and eventually be a catalyst to end the racist structures of apartheid and would be named Archbishop Desmond Tutu, the first African archbishop in South Africa, and receive the Nobel Peace Prize and be the main catalyst to end apartheid. A young English boy named Clive, his mother died of cancer when he was young. He would eventually marry an American woman and she would die of cancer. But rather than go inverted and hold on to whatever relations he had and, and, and kind of get sucked into himself, he began to live or lived open-handed, using the power he had to create stories and universes like Narnia and write books that help people grow in their faith, being open-handed with his words so that we flourish. When you're open-handed with the power you have, whether it's writing or whether it's justice, whether it's resourcing people with, in, in, with learning, whether when you're open-handed in this way, people flourish. And, but the promise is, is that you flourish. Or it's Catherine Booth, who is, uh, with her husband started the Salvation Army because she looked around her in... Uh, in 19th century England and saw the drunk and the indebted continuing to live in these cycles of poverty, live in the yokes of oppression. And she said, it's not enough for this to continue to go on. There can be a change. God does exist. We need to be about freedom. So she said, if we are to better the future, we must disturb the present. This is a person who, these are people that just lived open-handed believing that Believing that if we live open-handed, God will bless and work through our hands. I think this, like, I mean, this is kind of where I get excited. Like if anchor, if we just embrace this, I'm not going to live in the way of Pharaoh, white knuckling the power I have. And I'm also going to not going to live in the kind of like disregarding naivete and say, I don't got any power. That's for somebody else. I think we're called to know and name our power. To know and name your power. Where, are you, where do you have influence? Where has God placed you in a role? What does it look like to steward that as best you can? First, I think after we know and name it, we just give thanks for it. God, you've placed me in this place of influence. God, you've placed me in this, in this role. Thank you. And then to be open-handed with it. God, how do you want to use my hands? How do you want to use my place, my position, my influence? And then fourth, just watch God work. Watch him work. Watch over time when you live a lifestyle like this, people come up to you and say, you're a restorer. You're a repairer. Watch the ancient ruins <clears throat> that people in the past may have said, that'll never change, but you've lived like this for a long time, and so you've rebuilt the ancient ruins with God's power. Watch as you see, as you find in a sun-scorched land where you think there can be no provision, and people say there can be no provision, and you're in that sun-scorched land, and in that sun-scorched land, he provides for every one of your needs. Watch him strengthen your frame and grow you. This is the language of how do you flourish? The Bible says you live like this and watch God fill your hands. The uh, band can come up and I just want to read this verse over us because this is Paul saying essentially the same thing. And I alluded to this verse earlier, but I just want to read it. It's Philippians chapter two, verses five to 11. And it reads like this. In your relationships with one another, this is Paul saying, 
very similar to Isaiah, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't grasp after it, the Greek language suggests. Didn't white knuckle it. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He poured out his life by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. But check this out, therefore, the flourishing happens, just wait for it, therefore, because you lived in this way, not white knuckling power, but being open-handed with it. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name and at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. This is the way of Jesus. That we would not white knuckle, but we would be open-handed. And when we're open-handed, we get the fantastic, amazing journey of watching God work in ways he wouldn't have and couldn't have if we would have stayed white-knuckled with the power that we have. In fact, one of the words for the Spirit of God in the New Testament is the power of God. Because when we're open-handed saying, God, here I am, that's typically where the spiritual power starts to happen in our life. Not just resources, not just financial resources, not just energy, not just, but actual the Spirit of God comes into our life in new and powerful ways. This is the invitation for us. We're going to do communion here, and which is a portrait of who God is, that he would empty himself so that we might flourish. And uh, this is something we do every week because we think every week we need that reminder that at the core of who God is, there is love. It goes back to Jesus. When he was with the disciples, he says, this is my body, it's given for you. This is my blood as he took the cup, it's shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. I'm pouring myself out. I'm, I'm open-handed for you, for your flourishing. But you might be in a place where you're finding yourself maybe, okay, all right, I'm like this. God's calling me to be like this. So I just want to pray over us, maybe some of us that are experiencing that internally or even maybe wondering about that, what would that look like? You might just stand and just put your hand, open your hands if you feel comfortable saying, God, here are my hands. Here are my hands. I'm not going to try to white knuckle it. So spirit of the living God, would you be the power? Would you give us power not only to rebuild ancient ruins around us in relationships, but would you rebuild the ruins in us? Spirit of the living God, would you bring power into our life, your power, so that we might live towards you and, and for you. Help us to live open-handed towards other people so that people go up to us and they see you're a repairer, you're a restorer. May those words be about us and may those words be about you and may they be about Anchor. May they be point back to you. We pray that Anchor is known as a restoring church, as a repairing church and that a chain-breaking church that we turn away from the yoke of oppression, malicious talk and pointing fingers. God, fill our hands. Here they are. We pray these things in the powerful powerful, unrivaled name of Jesus. Amen. Come forward for communion when you're ready.
and be reminded of God's open-handed love towards you.